The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, adapted by Bart Meehan, directed by Tony Turner, with original music by Glenn Gore Phillips. The cast includes Nicky Hunter as the narrator, Elaine Noon as Mole, Geoffrey Borney as Ratty, Tony Turner as Toad, Graham Robertson as Badger, Nigel Palfreyman as Otter, Lainey Hart as the jailer's daughter and the bargewoman, and Neil MacLeod as the magistrate, the engine driver and the gypsy. The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham A Paper Moon Theatre production in association with Artsound FM Episode 5 Toad on the Road It was a bright morning in the early part of summer. The river had resumed its usual banks and its accustomed pace, and a hot sun seemed to be pulling everything green and bushy and spiky up out of the earth, as if by strings. Mole and Ratty had been up since dawn, very busy on matters connected with boats and the opening of the boating season painting and varnishing, mending paddles, repairing cushions, hunting for missing boat hooks and so on. And they were finishing breakfast in their little parlour and eagerly discussing their plans for the day when a heavy knock sounded at the door. Bother! See who it is, Molly, like a good chap. Hello, Mole. Mr Badger! How wonderful! Hello, Badger. Well, summer's definitely here, then. And the hour has come. What hour? Whose hour, you should say? Why, Toad's hour. The hour of Toad. I said I would take him in hand as soon as the winter was over, and I'm going to take him in hand today. Hooray! I remember now. We'll teach him to be a sensible toad. I've learned from a trustworthy source another new and exceptionally powerful motor car will arrive at Toad Hall today. Then there's no time to waste. At this very moment, Toad will be busy arraying himself in those singularly hideous driving clothes and that ridiculous scarf. Mm, Right you are. We'll rescue the poor unhappy animal. We'll convert him. He'll be the most converted toad that ever was before we've done with him. They set off on their mission of mercy and reached the carriage drive of Toad Hall to find, as Badger had anticipated, a shiny new motor car of great size, painted a bright red standing in front of the house. 
As they neared the door, it was flung open and Mr Toad, arrayed in goggles, cap, enormous overcoat and that ridiculous scarf, came swaggering down the steps, drawing on his gauntleted gloves. Hello, fellows. You're just in time to come with me for a jolly drive in the country. To come for a jolly or a, 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 a jolly... What's the problem? You don't look very happy at all. Mm, take him inside. What are you doing? Let go of me. I'm afraid you won't be going anywhere today, Toad. I will. First of all, take those ridiculous things off. Shut. It's my driving outfit. I've just bought this scarf. So take them off him, then, you two. What is the meaning of this gross outrage? I demand an instant explanation. What are you doing, Mole? I'm so sorry, Mr Toad, but it really is for your own good. Stop wriggling around, Toad. It'll go much easier if you're still. Let go of me. They had to lay Toad out on the floor, kicking and calling all sorts of names before they could get to work properly. <clears throat> then the rat sat on him and the Mole got his motor clothes off him bit by bit and they stood him up on his legs again. A good deal of his blustering spirit seemed to have evaporated with the removal of his fine panoply. Now he was merely Toad, no longer the terror of the highway, and he giggled feebly. <laughs> you knew it would come to this sooner or later, Toad. You've disregarded all the warnings we've given you. You've gone on squandering the money your father left you, and you're getting us animals a bad name in the district by your furious driving and your smashes and your rows with the police. I meant no harm, Badger, but you know I've always been an independent sort. Independence is all very well, but we animals never allow our friends to make fools of themselves beyond a certain limit. And you've reached that point. Now, you're a good fellow in many respects, and I don't want to be too hard on you. I'll make one more effort to help you see reason. You will come with me into the smoking room, and there you will hear some facts about yourself. And we'll see whether you come out of that room the same toad that you went in. And with that, he took Toad firmly by the arm, led him into the smoking room, and closed the door behind them. Really? What's the point of that? Perhaps it will work, Ratty. I mean, Badger is very convincing. Talking to Toad will never cure him. He'll say anything and then do the opposite. After some three quarters of an hour, the door opened and the badger reappeared, solemnly leading by the paw, a very limp and dejected toad. His skin hung baggily about him, his legs wobbled and his cheeks were furrowed by tears. Sit down there, toad. I will, badger. I'll sit and not move. And think about all we've discussed. And think about all we've discussed. Well, my friends, I'm pleased to inform you that Toad has at last seen the error of his ways. He is truly sorry for his misguided conduct in the past. Truly sorry. <laughs> yes. 
and he has undertaken to give up motor cars entirely and forever. I have his solemn promise to that effect. Solemn promise? Well, that is very good news indeed. Very good news indeed. If only. If only. Ratty looked at Toad and thought, is that a twinkle in his still sorrowful eye? There's only one thing more to be done. Toad, I want you solemnly to repeat, before your friends here, what you fully admitted to me in the smoking room just now. First, you are sorry for what you have done, and you see the folly of it all? Toad, did you hear me? Toad? No, I'm not sorry. And it wasn't folly at all. It was simply glorious. What? You backsliding animal. Didn't you tell me just now in there? Oh, yes, yes, in there. I'd have said anything in there. I told you so. You're so eloquent, dear Badger, and so moving and so convincing and put all your points so frightfully well. You can do what you like with me. In there, and you know it. But I've been searching my mind since and going over things, and I find that I'm not a bit sorry or repentant, really. So it's no earthly good saying I am now, is it? Then you don't promise never to touch a motor car again? Certainly not. On the contrary, I faithfully promise that the very first motor car I see... Vroom, vroom, mm. off I go. Well, very well, then. Since you don't yield to persuasion, we'll see what force can do. I feared it would come to this all along. You've often asked us three to come and stay with you, Toad, in this handsome house of yours, and, well, now we're going to. And we'll stay until you show some common sense. Take him upstairs, you two and lock him up in his bedroom, while we arrange matters between ourselves. Unhand it's me. For your own good, Toady, you know. Think what fun we'll have together when you've quite got over this. We'll take great care of everything for you till you're well, and we'll see your money isn't wasted, as it has been. No more of those regrettable incidents with the police and all those fines. And no more weeks in hospital being ordered about by those nurses and doctors. Let me go, you traitors, you villains, you weasels. Cowards, villains, let me out. Oh, dear. He's very upset. Yes, it's going to be a tedious business. I've never seen Toad so determined. He must never be unguarded for a moment. We shall have to take it in turns to be with him till the poison has worked itself out of his system. They arranged watchers accordingly. Each animal took it in turns to sleep in Toad's room at night and they divided the day up between them. At first, Toad was undoubtedly very trying to his careful guardians. When his violent paroxysms possessed him, he would arrange bedroom chairs in the form of a motor car and crouch on the foremost of them, 
bent forward and staring fixedly ahead, making uncouth and ghastly noises. Rum, rum, growing ever louder until the climax was reached when, turning a complete somersault, he would lie prostrate amidst the ruins of the chairs, smiling and completely satisfied for the moment. As time passed, however, these painful seizures grew gradually less frequent, and his friends strove to divert his mind into fresh channels. But his interest in other matters did not revive, and he grew languid and depressed. One fine morning, Ratty, whose turn it was to go on duty, went upstairs to relieve Badger, whom he found fidgeting to be off and stretch his legs in a long ramble round his wood. Toad's still in bed. Can't get much out of him except, Oh, leave me alone, I don't want anything. Now, you look out, Rat. When Toad's quiet and submissive, he's at his artfulest. There's sure to be something up. I know him. Well, now I must be off. How are you today, old chap? Thank you so much, dear Ratty. It's good of you to inquire. But first tell me how you are yourself, and... Uh, the excellent Mole? Oh, we're all right. <laughs> Mole's going out for a run around with Badger. They'll be out till lunchtime, so you and I will spend a pleasant morning together, and I'll do my best to amuse you. Now jump up, there's a good fellow, and don't lie moping there on a fine morning like this. Dear kind rat, how little you realise my condition, and how very far I am from jumping up now, if ever. But do not trouble yourself about me. I hate being a burden to my friends, and I, I do not expect to be one much longer. Indeed, I almost hope not. Well, I hope not too. <laughs> You've been a fine bother to us all this time, and I'm glad to hear it's going to stop. With weather like this and the boating season just beginning, <laughs> It's not the trouble we mind, but what you're making us miss. I'm afraid it is the trouble you mind, though. I can quite understand it. It's natural enough. You're tired of bothering about me. I mustn't ask you to do anything further. I am a nuisance, I know. You are indeed. But I tell you, I'd take any trouble on earth for you if only you'd be a sensible animal. Oh... If I thought that, Ratty, then I would beg you, for the last time, probably, to step round to the village as quickly as possible. Even now it may be too late. And fetch the doctor. B but don't you bother. It's only a trouble. Perhaps you may as well let things take their course. Why? What do you want a doctor for? Surely you have noticed of late, but no, why should you? Noticing things is only a trouble. Tomorrow, indeed, you may be saying to yourself, Oh, if only I had noticed sooner. If only I had done something. But no, it's a trouble. Never mind. Forget that I asked. Look here, old man. Of course I'll fetch a doctor for you if you really think you want him. 
But you can hardly be bad enough for that yet. Let's talk about something else. I fear, dear friend, that talk can do little in a case like this. Or doctors either, for that matter. Still, one must grasp at the slightest straw. And, and, and by the way... While you are about it, I hate to give you additional trouble, but I happen to remember that you will pass the lawyer's office. Would you mind asking him to come as well? It would be a convenience to me, and there are moments, perhaps I should say there is a moment, when one must face disagreeable tasks. A lawyer? Oh, he must be really bad, Ratty thought, as he hurried from the room, not forgetting, however, to lock the door carefully behind him. Outside, he stopped to consider. The other two were far away, and he had no one to consult. It's best to be on the safe side. I've known Toady fancy himself frightfully bad before, without the slightest reason, but I've never heard him ask for a lawyer. If there's nothing really the matter, the doctor will tell him he's an old ass and cheer him up, and that will be something gained. I'd better humour him and go. It won't take very long. As Ratty headed off to the village on his errand of mercy, Toad, who had hopped lightly out of bed as soon as he heard the key turned in the lock, watched him eagerly from the window till he disappeared down the carriage drive. <laughs> then, laughing heartily, he dressed as quickly as possible in the smartest suit he could lay hands on, filled his pockets with cash, which he took from a small drawer in the dressing table, and next, knotting the sheets from his bed together and tying one end of the improvised rope round the central mullion of the handsome Tudor window which formed such a feature of his bedroom, he scrambled out, slid lightly to the ground, and taking the opposite direction to the rat, marched off light-heartedly, whistling a merry tune. It was a gloomy lunch for Ratty when the badger and mole at length returned and he had to face them at table with his pitiful and unconvincing story. You've been a bit of a duffer this time. I know. Fooled by Toad, of all animals. He did awfully well. He did you awfully well. well what shall we do, Mr Badger? We must find him. Huh? Find him? Where, Mole? He's got clear away, and the worst of it is he'll be so conceited with what he thinks is his cleverness that he may commit any folly. Well, one small comfort is we're free now and needn't waste any more of our precious time on sentry duty. But 
We'd better continue to sleep at Toad Hall for a while longer. Toad may be brought back at any moment, on a stretcher or between two policemen. At that very moment, Toad, gay and irresponsible, was walking briskly along the high road some miles from home. At first he had taken bypaths and crossed many fields and changed his course several times in case of pursuit. But now, feeling safe from recapture and the sun smiling brightly on him and all nature joining in a chorus of approval to the song of self-praise that his own heart was singing to him, he almost danced along the road in his satisfaction and conceit. Smart piece of work, that. Brain against brute force. And brain came out on top. As it's bound to. Poor old Ratty. My, won't he catch it when the badger gets back. Worthy fellow, Ratty, with many good qualities, but very little intelligence and absolutely no education. I must take him in hand some day and see if I can make something of him. Oh, what's that sign say? The Red Lion. Oh, what luck. I'm sure they'll have meals and I'm absolutely starving. Coming up with a great escape will do that to you. He was about halfway through his meal when an only too familiar sound approaching down the street made him start and fall a trembling all over. The car drew nearer and nearer and then turned into the inn yard and came to a stop. Oh my! Oh, my! Vroom, vroom! Presently, a party entered the coffee room, talking loudly about their experiences of the morning and the merits of the chariot that had carried them there. Toad listened eagerly, all ears for a time. At last he could stand it no longer. He slipped out of the room quietly, paid his bill at the bar, and as soon as he got outside sauntered round quietly to the inn-yard. There cannot be any harm in my only just looking at it. The car stood in the middle of the yard, quite unattended. Toad walked slowly round it, inspecting, criticising, musing deeply. I wonder... I wonder if this sort of car starts easily. Next moment, Hardly knowing how it came about, he found he had hold of the handle and was turning it. As the familiar sound broke forth, the old passion seized Toad and completely mastered him body and soul. As if in a dream, he found himself somehow in the driver's seat. As if in a dream, he pulled the lever and swung the car round the yard and out through the archway. And, as if in a dream, all sense of right and wrong, all fear of obvious consequences, seemed temporarily suspended. He increased his pace, and the car devoured the street and leapt forth on the high road through the open country. Yippee! I am Toad once more. Toad at his best and highest. <laughs> toad the terror the traffic queller, the lord of the lone trail, 
before whom all must give way or be smitten into nothingness and everlasting night. He chanted as he flew, and the car responded with a sonorous drone. The miles were eaten up under him, as he sped he knew not where, fulfilling his instincts, living his hour, reckless of what might come to him. in the court. To my mind, the only difficulty that presents itself in this otherwise very clear case is how we can possibly make it sufficiently hot for the incorrigible rogue and hardened ruffian whom we see cowering in the dock before us. Let me see. He has been found guilty, and the clearest evidence First, of stealing a valuable motor car. Secondly, of driving to the public danger. And thirdly, of gross impertinence to the rural police. Now I must consider what is the very stiffest penalty the court can impose for each of these offences. Some people would consider that stealing a motor car was the worst offence, and so it is. But cheeking the police undoubtedly carries the severest penalty, and so it ought. Supposing I was to say twelve months for the theft, which is mild, and three years for the furious driving, which is lenient, and fifteen years for the cheek, which was pretty bad sort of cheek. Judging by what we've heard from the witness box, even if we only believe one-tenth part of what you heard, and I never believe more myself, those figures, if added together correctly, tote up to nineteen years. Let's make it around twenty years to be on the safe side. Prisoner, pull yourself together and try to stand up straight. It's going to be twenty years for you this time. And mind, if you appear before me again, upon any charge whatever, I shall have to deal with you very seriously. Seriously.